Welcome back. I'm excited about this episode because we have the return of my special guest, John Miller. I hope you will be inspired by his perspective on leadership. He is not only a retired senior NCO, he also continued to serve as a federal civilian employee with the United States Navy. More on that in a bit. In this episode, I'm still at Randolph, even though I am in the middle of making the decision on whether to take the short tour or a one-year assignment to Osan, Korea. Okay, just a minute, Kona. You're not supposed to be coming up on the microphone. <laughs> anyway, um, because I was born in Korea, I didn't have to take that assignment. The issue is the alternative assignment would be even the more remote island of Shimia off the coast of Alaska. Initially, neither sounded good. Yet again, you'll learn that the decision I made was very much the right one, both for my career and my own personal enlightenment. Alaska might be a good place to explore, a small island in a very cold part of the world. In my mind, not so much. So what was on my mind? Do you know how you have the feeling when you see someone you don't know and you think that you met them before? Maybe it's just me. I had a very real concern that if I saw a woman that I thought I knew, since it was in Korea, would I be able to recognize either my birth mother or someone associated at the time of my birth and being discarded. I knew that I was eventually adopted from the orphanage in Ilsan, which is north of Seoul, and it wasn't until I got stationed there that I learned more information. My thought was that if I had that feeling, who else could it possibly be? I asked a psychologist at the hospital if there was any chance this could either happen or have such a strong feeling if I saw someone. The unequivocal answer was no. She said that there was no chance I would remember my birth mother. At the moment I was discarded, the trauma of the experience would not be being put in a trash can. Rather, the separation of being held and likely the cold temperatures of the trash can compared to being held. So the best assessment was that just minutes old, I couldn't possibly recognize anyone. As you've learned throughout the podcast, I've had a lot of feelings about being from Korea. Between the tragedies experienced because of my ethnic background and my own frustration of how I looked compared to others, I also wasn't sure about even going to Korea. The more I thought about it, and I did a little research, for the first time in my life, I decided that it would actually be good to both learn a bit more about being Korean and to actually see the country of my birth. So that was it. I told the personnel office I would take the assignment to Korea. I wouldn't go for several months, and this would give me time to prepare. Though the course of the stress of making the decision, my abdominal issues were flaring up quite frequently, and it was at this time that my doctor figured out that it was related to being under stress. While we hadn't made that connection before, this decision was so stressful that the correlation became clear. At this point, May 1987 seemed both far away and just around the corner at the same time. You'll remember that I ran along the flight line with my friend Ed over the lunch hour, and my boss also occasionally ran during lunch as well. 
On one very hot day, I am coming back to the fitness center, and Les was at the water fountain. While I normally take a dodge into the gym office to cool down, I figured that wouldn't be such a good idea on this particular day. When I'm hot and sweaty, well, like anyone, I'm certainly not at my best. After exchanging pleasantries, I'm walking back to the locker room, and Les says, Oh, wait, I want you to meet someone. I'm thinking, now? There was a gentleman that had just come into the center who Les apparently knew. He said, Lieutenant Terwilliger, this is General Bowles. General Bowles, Tom Terwilliger, my operations officer. Now, General Bowles was the commander of the Air Force Personnel Center. Back in those days, MWR headquarters was aligned under the Air Force Personnel Center. So General Bowles was someone that you would want to know. And while I knew the name, was this the, really the best time to meet him? As it would turn out, yes. Remember that being part of MWR had a benefit of being active across the base and interacting, interacting with nearly everyone who was anyone. I'm thinking that the best time to meet a general may not be at the gym when you're hot and sweaty. That was the first time that I had met him. The exchange was just a moment, and everyone went on their way. General Bowles would cross paths with me a couple more times over the years, and you'll see how impressive he is after that very brief meeting. It was some time later that the CGOC volunteers of lieutenants were working a special program at the Taj. We're standing around waiting for the event to start and just waiting for our queue to assemble. We were all at the back door, and out of the way. The door opens and in walks General Bowles for the event. He liked to come in the back door so that it didn't draw a lot of attention. He comes down the corridor, sees me, and intentionally says, Hi Tom, I'm glad to see you volunteered to help out with the event. Everyone is looking at me going, How do you know General Bowles? Because I'm sure it was intentional on the General's part from the manner that he greeted me as if I was a colleague that he'd known for some time. At another CGOC event, volunteers were sought to speak at the University of Texas at Austin on ROTC Career Day. This was an event that I had long forgotten until I noted that it was in my appraisal, and you'll learn much later in my career how that becomes another connection. I'm sure you've heard the term, the world is a small place. Well, the Air Force is even smaller. A program that is conducted every year, usually by the Recreation Center, is the Base Talent Show. This is a musical talent competition where the winners can move up to be in the Air Force Traveling Entertainment Program called Tops in Blue. You might want to think of it a little bit like the current reality shows, um, like American Idol, but all without the drama. Anyway, Tops in Blue not only performs at Air Force bases, they represent, they represent the Air Force and a number of other events to include the Super Bowl. Tops in Blue at the time was assigned to Lackland Air Force Base as their headquarters. And in those early years, Les got me involved in all kinds of MWR programs that weren't necessarily at Randolph Air Force Base. All of these connections really paid off in my career over the years, including my close ties with Tops and Blue. In doing further research about Tops and Blue, 
I learned that it was shut down permanently in 2016 due to budget constraints. It's sad because it was a very uplifting program for the Air Force as they traveled to bases around the world, and it was a good recruiting tool as well. There's another story that shows the time period that we're in and a lot of lessons that were learned. Nearly everything that was done at the time was typed on an IBM Selectric 2 typewriter. You may remember them. They were either tan or blue and were metal and had that round ball type that was interchangeable if you wanted a different font. I actually had one at home as well. This was the period when correction tape was used. Correction tape was where you inserted a piece of tape in between the ball and the paper. You would type the letters you wanted to eliminate and it would cover it with a white substance from the tape. Anyway, when you had a long document, either you would let things go or retype the entire page. There was a lot less wordsmithing back then. When I was there, the division got a word processor. This thing was huge, and it was a big deal. Well, it was a big deal for some of us. The admin team did not want to use it. They were very comfortable typing on the typewriter. Now, you may remember that Margie was my primary administrative support. She was also more willing to use the word processor, although she also preferred the typewriter, too. At this time, I had the project to create a five-year plan. I say create because while we were supposed to have one, it never really got completed. We had many activities and everyone had to provide their input to the plan as well as the leadership creating the overall division objectives. Margie was assigned to be the administrative support for the project. And I thought it was a great opportunity to show the value of the word processor. Margie was still kind of in the camp of typing it because she knew it was important, an important project and she really wasn't super comfortable using the word processor. So I mentioned there are going to be a lot of versions before this is final. She finally agreed and I added an extra task. I asked Margie to keep all the draft copies of the project as we went along. Well, that wasn't a bad request, and so she agreed. As you can imagine, this project took several weeks, and we had lots of changes. Some things had to be rearranged, some things had to be added, some things weren't, didn't fit in the plan and would be reviewed by the various levels of leadership, and each level had changes. Well, finally, we had a five-year plan. The project took so much typing, retyping, and all those changes. Margie was awesome, and the paper started to stack up. I don't remember exactly how many pages those drafts were. I do remember that the pile of draft pages was higher than her chair. From that point on, everyone in the admin office started to use the word processor for more and more tasks. It's time to bring in John Miller. Remember that John was my mentor at Red Horse and took me in after that fateful event in the dorm. One of the relationships that I very much remember was as a senior NCO, how he interacted with our lieutenant. Lieutenant B was a first lieutenant and while younger was John's supervisor. Much can be learned from senior NCOs and I think this is especially true in the relationship with a CGL. John, how would you describe your leadership style with working with company grade officers? 
Well, I have to say there's some uh, golden rules that I sort of go by when I'm dealing with anybody. And one of them is, especially with the junior officers, is don't be arrogant. Whatever you're doing, don't be arrogant. Don't talk down. They are your superior in rank, but you're always entitled to your opinion. So the thing to do is be calm, and you, you're quite all right in saying, well, I don't particularly agree with that. Can I explain what my position is? And I hate to use, I kind of don't like to use the term of being humble, but that's the best way to go about it. Because if you don't do that, they'll take offense and your relationship can get spoiled. So I remember that when you and Lieutenant B were working together, you often sit in his office, and I was actually in awe that the relationship seemed so cordial. Was that uh, by design, or is that because of the personalities involved? I think it was by design, but Lieutenant Brinkley did something that's very unusual. When he first showed up, and we first few days that we were together, he called me in his office after he got settled, and he said, he really said this. He said, look, I know that I don't know anything. He said, I understand that. I understand that you've got a lot of experience. So all I'm going to ask you is don't make me look bad in front of people. And yeah. I said, no problem with that. And uh, that's, how we, that's how we handled it. Another unique experience that I certainly experienced was working with civilians who are retired senior NCOs. I had that very experience myself at my first two bases, and that's the basis for my next question for John. When you think about your careers, leveraging a career of experience as a civilian in federal service can be a challenge with both leaders and subordinates that have less experience than you. What kind of advice would you give my listeners as a leadership lesson when you have more experience than those around you? The first thing is I'm, I'm going to reiterate that there's no place for arrogance in, in human relations. Uh, it always leads to trouble. Now, when I retired from the Air Force, I got hired at the local Navy base as the inventory manager and the supervisor of 14 civilians. Well, some of the civilians were really really angry, three of them, I think, that were really angry that they hadn't gotten the job. And I had considerably more inventory management experience and background in the things that we should have been doing in that section. So the first thing I did after I introduced myself and uh, tried to make friends with everybody is I went through what we were doing, what we were tasked to do and what we were actually doing and compliance with the regulations and the manual and so forth. Well, wow. It didn't take me but a couple of days to find out that I really had a big job ahead of me. And that we were out of compliance and regulations with a lot of stuff. So what I did was I thought about what to do and I figured out the best thing for me to do is write a report to the head of the supply division outlining the problems I had found and my planned order of, of repair to get them going. And then I made an appointment with her. And then I went down with my letter of problem, solution, problem, solution, 
and I went over those. And the reason I did that was because I knew that I was going to run into a lot of roadblocks and a lot of uh, folks that didn't want. First, I don't think they wanted me to succeed. And secondly, that well, they just they had just had a history of. I got hired because they had a history of problems. To be blunt, so anyway. Uh, when I was going through this with a, a GS-14, uh, and I was a GS-7 at the time, uh, there were some things she didn't like and she didn't want to do. And I said, well, that's that's your call. However, uh, I'll give you one example. The, the reconciliation between uh, finance and supply that was supposed to be annually adjusted was several million dollars off. And nobody wanted that fixed because then it would bring to light that it had been wrong for years. So uh, I wrote that up. And matter of fact, she handled that with higher headquarters because it, it could have been really bad. So, again, when you're dealing with other people, there's no place for arrogance. There's no place for anger. There is a place for firmness. I think that's a good so, point, John, because I think a lot of times, especially when um, organizations, federal organizations, hire retired people, retired military, and especially retired senior NCOs who have all this experience, some of the people in the organization wish they had also gotten that same position. And so you could deal with that. And I appreciate um, that story a lot. I want to thank you again for joining my podcast. I hope the podcast has a variety of purposes and being a former professor of leadership, am hopeful that the lessons from my own leadership journey may benefit others on their journeys as well. It was great to hear from John again, and it is a man who dedicated his entire life to public service. Sometimes in MWR, we get tasks from everywhere. Of course, some can't be done. The higher up in the organization that the request comes from, obviously the more likely the request gets higher priority. Well, word came down that the ATC commander was complaining that the tee boxes at the golf course weren't green enough. For those who aren't golfers, the tee box is the area where the player starts or tees off from at the start of each hole on the course. We're told that he'll be out there again in the next day or so. I'm not sure how grass is going to be greener in one or two days. I was glad that the golf course didn't come under my responsibilities. Anyway, the next time the general was on the course, all was good. I went in and asked Les, how can that be? You may never guess how this miracle occurred. The tee boxes were painted. I kind of roll my eyes, smile, and go back to my office. I'm sure it must have been special grass paint. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny then, and I still do. Not long after we finished the five-year plan, the wing had an inspector general inspection. This is when a team comes in from the major air command to inspect their bases for what is an official review of every aspect of the wing including, of course, MWR. 
Over the course of the inspection, the various inspectors identify a small percentage of base members who are what's called professional performers, and these are people who are singled out for the exceptional service or exceptional work during the inspection. One of the reasons I was selected was because of the quality of that five-year plan. See, everything does tie together in one way or another. My tour at Randolph is coming to an end. Just under 17 months, and I'm on my way to another assignment. I'm still going to be the operations officer, and in this scenario, because it's what's considered a remote assignment, there is no deputy. I will be the operations officer and the deputy for the division as well. As you saw from this episode and last week's episode, I learned a lot at Randolph about this new career field of MWR. I certainly didn't know everything, but in the short few months of being in MWR, I learned that it was a pretty interesting career field. It was a diverse organization that had an important mission that impacted the entire base community. Most importantly, because of Les's leadership and mentoring, he prepared me with more opportunities, I think, than most division chiefs. Remember that I won the Air Training Command Operations Officer of the Year? About the time that I'm leaving, I learned that I don't win the Air Force Level Award. In fact, it was the Pacific Air Forces, or PACAF nominee at Hickam Air Force Base, that won that year. OSAN is part of PACAF, which is the major command that has responsibility for all the bases in the Pacific from Hawaii westward. You will remember that there are three short takes on Korea that cover some of the experiences there from a tourist perspective. And now we'll explore several other aspects of my learning and working in Korea, and you may find some surprises as well. Some of them certainly surprised me. We'll also have more special guests. Thanks again to retired Senior Master Sergeant John Miller. I'm sure you enjoyed learning with him as well, and I am grateful to have reconnected with him through this podcast. Have a wonderful week.